Hey friends, this is Jessica Levity Day Lover, reminding you that you are not alone on the polyamorous path. If you're looking for peer support or coaching on your non-monogamous journey, and you want to work with the day lovers, head to remodeledlove.com and book with us today. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. You're listening to Remodeled, the podcast. Remodeled is a project whose goal is to expand the cultural narrative on healthy relationships in order to include ethical non-monogamy, non-partnered, asexual, open, and more. We are here to redefine love. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. All right. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Remodeled, the podcast. This is a production of Remodeled Love, produced by Home Slice Productions. That's me. I'm your polyamorous mama, Jessica Levity, day lover. And today is an episode I am very excited about. This is season two, episode five. Season two is unedited, so we are live. And I'm also going to be uploading the video recording, although... I, I've been messing that up. I've only been able to get the sound, so hopefully we get this up on YouTube. My guest today is Dr. Antonia. Good morning, afternoon. I think it's afternoon there. It is afternoon. It is. Thank you. Thank you. So we always start uh, on Remodeled with an identity and privilege check so that anyone listening um, is reminded, first of all, I want to normalize privilege checks in all places in the world, but especially on a podcast and my interviews, um, acknowledging our identity and our privileges helps frame the experience for the listener. So why don't you hit us with your identity and your privileges? Yeah, for sure. So um, I am a queer, polyamorous, cisgender woman. I'm white, uh, able-bodied, neurodivergent, and kinky. Mm, I love that you threw kinky in there. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I feel like it's, you know, it matters. And I also like that we're normalizing it in the space. Yes. Yes. I agree. I 100% agree. It's a huge part of my work. Um, and it's a huge like identity that is shared by many of my clients. And so I feel especially um, like it's really needed to talk about. So great thank you for putting it out there so tell everyone how this podcast episode came to be so i think well it started off well first of all i just want to say that i'm having a little bit of a fangirl moment right now because i feel like very excited because i see you all the time on my instagram and now it's like very strange to be talking to you like what feel in person quote unquote totally Um, but so i've been following your account along with like many polyamorous creators um finding it super relatable and just like super excited to see things about polyamory online and so on. And one day I think you had posted about thinking that you were pretty sure you had ADHD and struggling with it hardcore. And I was like, holy shit, I need to send her a message because I am so convinced that there are these connections between ADHD and polyamory. And so then I sent you a message and I said, oh my God, I have so many thoughts on the connections. Like, if you ever want to chat about it, I would love to do that. Uh, I would love to tell you what I think about it. Um, and especially as a psychologist and so on. And so that's the part where I was like, I can offer some unique insight potentially into this. Right. Like you're actually qualified to talk about it. Yes. Yes. I'm actually qualified. Even though, you know, I want to include that, like being a person with ADHD and being polyamorous makes me qualified in some kind of way too. Oh, um, yeah. Right on. 
Yeah, I was like, you know what? I'm going to add that to like my credentials here is that I, I have ADHD. I live with it every day and I am a polyamorous person. And so that's huge to me. Well, and I was super excited because I we've talked about before, like on the platform and other content creators talk about it, that there's a big group of polyamorous content creators who are in a group chat with each other. And it comes up a lot in the group chat. Like what happened was somebody said, oh, that's just my ADHD. And then somebody else is like, I have ADHD too. And so do all of my partners. And someone else is like, and all of my partners have ADHD. And so we've been talking in the group chat for a while. We're like, is there a connection between ADHD and polyamory? And we kind of were just like joking about the connections, but then some of us have been a little more like, no, I actually think there's something here. But of course, you know, we're not scientists, we're not doing studies. Um, and so it's been more anecdotal, but some of us have been really like, oh my God, no, I, I actually think there's something here. And so when you commented that, I was like, oh my God, will you come on my podcast? <laughs> yes, which I was like, holy shit, I've never been on a podcast, but like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> You're doing great. So tell everyone your credentials yes. and your background. For sure, for sure. So um, I have my PsyD in clinical psychology. Um, I graduated in December of last year, which is pretty fucking exciting. Congratulations. Um, thank you, thank you. I am in the process of licensure, and so that is fun. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um, and then also what like really comes into play here too, on top of that is that in my training, I did a lot of focus on neuropsychology. Um, so I did several like assessment practicums doing neuropsychological evaluations. And a lot of the clients that I saw were seeking, um, basically a help with like noticing attention issues at home and so on. And so I've actually diagnosed and tested and looked at ADHD across the lifespan for kids, adults, and in a variety of settings. So both private practice. And then I used to also work at the VA. So I, with veterans as well. Amazing. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about how much you think polyamory and ADHD are related to one another, how you think it impacts what draws someone to polyamory. And we're also going to be talking about how it could possibly explain some of the difficulties people find themselves having within polyamory and why it would be helpful to have this knowledge. I am so excited. I don't even know which of those segments is going to be my favorite. Right now, I'm super excited to talk about the impacts. Um, so are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start with how much you think polyamory and ADHD are related to one another. Yeah, well, first I just wanted to say that like I had the same exact experience, which I feel like is so huge that you were talking about earlier with the other like like polyam content creators is like, I started going on dates like early on in my non-monogamy journey would go on dates and then like something would happen where I'd be like oh that's my ADHD and then my partner would be like I have ADHD and we're like you have ADHD and then it was like that whole moment of cracking up and then then continuously dating more and more people with ADHD and just kind of being like okay what's going on here and like a part of me is like at that time was just wondering okay is this a reflection of like dating people that are like me um, but then I joined like my, where I work currently at LifeWorks Psychotherapy Center. And we like work with a lot of people who are polyamorous, queer, kinky, sex workers, et cetera. 
And so then like one day I talked about having ADHD and then another, like several other therapists who are also polyamorous and kinky were like, oh my God, I have ADHD. And we're like, we need to do a study. And so at that point I was like, okay, these aren't just my partners. These are other people. And I think there's something really special about when like people come to a certain knowledge at different parts of the country, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm not connected to the people you're connected mm-hmm. to. And we're having the same fucking conversations. Right. So, like, it's universal consciousness, right? That happens throughout history. Totally, totally. And so I feel like we've got to be onto something. And I actually, I will say that I did do some research and I tried to look into it. I was like, okay, maybe someone's already looked into this. Maybe someone's talking about it. And I couldn't find anything. Yeah, when I we did a brief Google too when I came up in the content creator chat, and like there there's people talking about their own like I'm noticing this, but no one is doing it there. There's got to be money out there. Yeah, I know, I know. One day, one day I will overcome my obstacles around ADHD and complete a research study. I know that's the irony of the whole fucking thing. Really quick, can we define ADHD for people who might not know, or people? Let's just set the stage with the definition anyway. Yeah, totally. So ADHD stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, And when people think about ADHD, they often jump to, oh, this person just can't pay attention. Um, But it's actually a lot more than that. And it really has to do a lot more with something around executive functioning, which is basically a collection of activities that's controlled by the frontal lobe, your frontal cortex. And it's around Um, decision-making, planning, multi-step tasks, issues around time and like perceiving time. So a lot of people with ADHD talk about time blindness. Um, And also there's this other part of it that's really important around like dopamine, having a brain that's low on dopamine. And (laughs) yeah, (laughs) which we can go into a lot. It's going to come up a bunch. Um, And being someone who kind of like seeks that out. So people with ADHD will often talk about, like for example, too, around attention. It's not necessarily that you can't pay attention. It's the fact that everyday people, we get a lot of different information from stimuli all around us in our environment. And a healthy brain or a quote unquote normal brain to some degree can like filter out what's unimportant and say like, oh no, I'm focusing on this task. Mm -hmm. Someone with ADHD, oftentimes it's like picking up on those things as well and not being able to like inhibit a response to it. So that would look like, oh my God, what's that weird noise coming through the window? That's interesting. And why is my friend doing that over there? That's so funny. I've never noticed how her shirt looks like that. What material is that? Right. And then just getting drawn in and drawn in and drawn in. It's my whole fucking life. Like, and so I'm somebody I was telling you before we started recording, like I'm somebody who is one of those millennials who realized I had ADHD on TikTok. Um, And I know that there's some controversy around that, but I actually read this really incredible thread on Twitter about how we need to honor those of us who are self-diagnosing because many of us didn't have access to resources to get diagnosed. And also, Mm -hmm. and you've talked before, do you want to dive into that about the barriers around getting diagnosed with ADHD and why we need to honor people who are self-diagnosing? Yeah, 100%. One, it's expensive fucking expensive. And so even now when someone comes to me and is like, how do I get diagnosed? It's hard for me to give them a good answer, especially if they're like, Hey, I don't have insurance. Like that's Mm -hmm. a, that's one, but it's like, even when you do have insurance, 
insurance oftentimes doesn't cover a full neuropsych eval. Um, and those cost around $1,500. Um, so that's right away an issue. And then I feel like there's also importance around like how it gets diagnosed differently across gender. And so, for example, like women are typically underdiagnosed because it is, um, it presents differently. So typically women struggle with attention um, and then it can also be overdiagnosed in men um, around like what would be like maybe normal behaviors in childhood get perceived as like being like, instead of being like, oh, and also underdiagnosed. Cause I'm thinking about how like sometimes we'll be like, oh, well boys will be boys. If you think about like a little kid who's running around and can't sit still and can't stay seated. Um, but then there's also this history of overdiagnosis in communities that are facing a lot of trauma. So I'm specifically thinking about um, BIPOC communities who are then are getting like overdiagnosis in some of these um, like ADHD, ODD, and so on. Um, when really what's going on is there's a whole lot of trauma at home. Mm. So yeah, there's a lot there and there's a lot of barriers. And then the other piece that I always think is really important around self-diagnosis is the fact that I saw, and I can't remember where I saw this exactly, but talking to like, listening to other people talk about neurodivergence and then the issue that comes up around so we're going to get diagnosed or we're going to have these like criteria made up by a bunch of neurotypical people and then they're going to diagnose neurodivergence that's something about that doesn't sit right right yeah totally i think that's a great point i mean we could honestly have a whole other segment episode on everything that you're talking about right there but to bring it back so thank you for defining all that um So to bring it back, um, how do you see all of these identities intertwined, inherently intertwined? Yeah. So one thing I like, one part around that that I think is really important is that as human beings, we oftentimes really would like to like make things simple and put things into boxes and simple categories and say, okay, this happened and then this led to this and this led to this. And sometimes I've had thoughts around like, oh, do I have ADHD and that makes me want polyamory or does this go in this other direction or what's correlated, but it's like, it's all connected and it's hard to parse out like different parts of you, like as a human being. It's Uh, intersectional. And we know that we, you can't study a single piece of identity anymore because we know everything is intertwined. Yeah. But I think that the part that like really sticks out to me was and this is something that I first noticed in my own journey. And, and I think that a part of the reason that it came out like around the same time was that I was actually diagnosed with ADHD around the time that I was first exploring non-monogamy. Mm. And so I was having a lot of conversations at that time. Getting my ADHD diagnosis was like fucking life-changing because I suddenly was like, holy shit, my whole life makes sense. That's what's happening to me right now. And that's what that post that you commented on was about is like, I'm realize it's so weird to be 35 and realize something, a piece of your identity, whether that's sexuality, um, a neurotypical or atypicalness, like anything. It's just like, oh, wow. Right. Yeah. And so when I got diagnosed, I was like, oh my God, this is why school has always been hard for me. This is why I always felt like I was underachieving, Um, going back and kind of like realizing some things that like I saw as like moral failures or issues around, oh, I'm lazy. 
Um, I don't care about things. If I actually tried, it would be better and so on. And then looking back and being like, no, there's a reason for that. It's because you struggle with this thing. Um, and so then at that time I was having a lot of conversations with my therapist of like, oh, that's why I do this. And that's why I do this. And that's why I do this. And then, and one of the things that comes up around ADHD a lot is like your need for novelty. Um, the fact that you're stimulation seeking, I was like, oh, this explains why I like to drive fast in my car, even though I know that's a very bad thing. Uh, this is explain this explains why I want to go bungee jumping in like really dumb places that I shouldn't go bungee jumping in and so on. And then when I started going through like my journey into like non-monogamy and polyamory, I started to really think about like, oh, like this so satisfi satisfies my need for novelty and stimulation. Like what a great, great source and I'm, you know, referring to the amazing drug that is NRE. <laughs> NRE is my favorite drug, let it be known. And if you are new to polyamory, you don't know terms, NRE stands for New Relationship Energy. It's the dopamine high that you get when you are falling in love with someone and they are falling in love with you back and there's like a mutual, um, you know, it's requited love, essentially. Yeah, and like this kind of like almost feeling of, obsession infatuation or something where you're just like so drawn in and you're like oh i just want to spend all my time with this person and what's that i have these other commitments like yeah i'll tend to that but like what about this right and just like constantly getting drawn in and just feeling like oh that's probably connected like i'm probably one of those people who needs this in her life and also thinking about how i think we talked about this before of like my therapist was like saying something to me and I was talking about differences between me and my partner at that time. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. He just has this amount of friends and I just feel like I can't stop making new friends. I can't <laughs> stop adding connections to my life. I just want to talk to everyone and anyone and so on. And, and she goes, well, yours, your kind of orientation to life has always just been more and like, you could tell she was like kind of struggling, like more. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like more connection, more stimulation, always looking for it. Um, and that leads to some problems too. So we can go into that later. But I think that's like a very big piece for me. That novelty piece is so huge. See, and this is where the interview gets mind blowing for me. And I hope if you're watching or listening right now, like I can already feel people being like, holy fuck. Um, I have so many directions I want to go in, classic ADHD. Um, so one thing that's coming up for me right now, um, so same Z's on all of that, I'm being reminded of one of the greatest relationships of my life. It was an artistic marriage. It was not a romantic marriage. Um, I that, that relationship was lost to drug addiction, and their drug of choice was meth. And I remember there was this moment during their second relapse where uh, I had to kick them out of our house, um, where they were saying like, I can't help it, it's my ADHD. Um, and like my ADHD needing that methamphetamine to get this ping and me thinking like I, I related, except mine was like love and relationships. Like that's my meth, I, I call it boy meth, which is, dark but that's really what nre feels like to me yeah totally and i think that on top of it it's like this wonderful energy that i think has this potential to be harnessed but without 
the knowledge of like what's going on can also lead to a bunch of issues. So like when I think about like harnessing it, I think about the fact that NRE makes my entire life feel more exciting in a way. Like it gives it gives me life. Yeah, it fills my cup and like it it revitalizes my current relationships. Right. And I think about how often like I go out and yes, I experience that new relationship energy and I meet this new person and maybe I experience things that I've never experienced before. And there's a connection that's deeper than it's ever been. But then I go back to my like nesting partner and suddenly he feels new. Same. Contrast. Right. And so then you're like, oh, everything is just feeling good. And and I think that when you take a balanced approach with it, when you recognize like how how to like, you know, like how to dose it out, I don't know. Like there's some piece there that can be just like really wonderful about having access to that. Yeah, I always use the metaphor of, well, I mix all these metaphors, so which I realize now is super ADHD. So I'm just gonna yeah. like lay it out there. But my polyamorous journey has been um, like originally NRE, um, if in the analogy of driving a car, I was somebody who had to drive the car off the cliff in order to learn that's not how you drive a car. Yeah. And because my husband is who he is and the grace that he gave me, we're still together. And now we're amazing because he was able to forgive me for driving the car off the cliff. Um, not saying that's right. Not saying that's how it has to be done, but it is what made us who we are today. And then he years later realized he was also someone he always thought he would he wouldn't have to drive a car off the cliff and there's always that humility moment where the roles switch and you're like oh i get it now um so then my next metaphor is like a pilot's light like i see this pilot light like there's a certain amount of gas um and because i'm woo i also think of it as karma there's like a certain amount of karma in the connection and you know ADHD me really likes to burn it at 10 and like fucking go big and then like it all burns blows up in my face and then it's over and then I go on to a new relationship and as I've matured and I've attempted to learn some tools I've realized I actually prefer um to burn it at like a five yeah and have it last a little longer yeah um so I've had to turn down my pilot's light and drive drive my car um, in like third gear instead of fifth. Um, <laughs> and so that's been my journey. And I realize looking back now, like the ADHD explains a lot of why I'm like, no, let's just fucking feel it all right now. And then, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what do you mean boundaries? I don't want boundaries. Fuck that. Let's go. Full throttle. Like, Yeah. It's full throttle, no boundaries. And I think having kids... And, you know, having what was, is a part primary relationship though, we are looking at the dismantling of that hierarchy, but just by the nature of having children and being domesticated, like there is a hierarchy there. Like it, it sort of forces the issue. I think if I was a full on relationship anarchist, I might still choose to burn some things at level 10. <laughs> um, but also being a demisexual, I mean, God, throw that into this mix. And it's just like, I am the most confusing person that I know. Um, <laughs> because like my ADHD addict side wants to go full out, but my demisexual is like, there's a wall there and I'm a little bit afraid until that wall is melted down. And then I'm like, let's go crazy. Um, and so there was a period of time where after I drove my car off the cliff, I was like traumatized. And so was my partner. And so my next few connections, I overcorrected 
and was like afraid to dive in. And so the rest of my polyamorous journey, the last like six years has really been about finding that middle path. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I think another way of like a metaphor that to like similar to like driving the car and so on is like, are you in the driver's seat or is NRE in the driver's seat? Yeah. Like, because I think that if you can put NRE in the passenger seat and you can hold on to the steering wheel, like, fantastic. NRE is a great ride. So, like, great passenger to have with you. But NRE in the, like, in the driver's seat is, like, holding on for dear life. Like, oh, my God, what's happening? I think that's a great metaphor. And it's similar kind of back to the drug analogy. And it's not even really an analogy. I mean, it is a drug. It just doesn't require putting something physical in your body. Um, I think that it's interesting because I do like to do certain drugs. But you do have to make sure it stays in the passenger seat at all times. And so I try to really regulate, you know, am I at a music festival? Is it three times a year? You know, something like that. And so um, becoming really woke to, whoops, I've handed over the keys. (laughs) I need to take some of that control back, which can be super hard if you're ADHD. Totally. And I think the experience of the partner who, and, you know, I think this is relatable to anyone who's like drawn to NRE and their partner isn't as drawn. And so there's this like push pull dynamic that's happening, which I see time and time again, especially in like uh, dyads that I work with for relationship therapy and breaking that down for people is really helpful. But in some ways, what's happening is like your partner's in the back seat, like getting taken along for this ride that they that's, did not sign up for. Yep. 100%. Like, who's driving the car? What's happening here? And, and I totally made those mistakes too. I pushed, I pushed, I wanted what I wanted. What do you mean? That doesn't make sense. Your discomfort doesn't make sense to me. And therefore we should push through this anyways. God, me, literally me, the first two years, that was me driving the car off the cliff. Totally. And then, you know, what people don't realize and what I tried to like, and I think this is a little bit counterintuitive to like the current, not the current dialogue, but some of the dialogue that happens in the polyamorous community. There's so much... We, we see so much stigmatization that happens that I think that then we focus on like countering that stigmatization and being like, don't shame a person, a polyamorous person for wanting to do things and like wanting to be free with their love and this and that. At the same time, I think there could be more conversation around the fact that like that doesn't give us free license to drag our partners along. And you will just in, on, end up building up a shit ton of resentment that you then have to unpack two years later when you realize, oh, fuck, I, I really did kind of push when I was under the influence of NRE. And now we got to talk about it because you were really hurt in the process. And I just didn't see it coming because one of the, and it's funny because I think this is like NRE is a drug. And then the way that ADHD kind of connects with like the hyper focus that can happen in ADHD where you're like, Ooh, this gives me so much stimulation. It's super interesting to me. And it's all I want to focus on. The blinders come on and you might not even pick up the, like the red flags that you're seeing either in the person you're dating. Uh, or, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or in my life again. Yeah. Or your partner who's giving you flags saying, Hey, if you keep doing this, I don't know how we'll recover. And yeah. So this is, this is kind of one of those things where I think that like, that will tap into what we're talking about later around like knowledge to like why it's helpful to have this knowledge and understanding because of what could happen if you, if you're not really aware of like, Oh, like having that kind of like 
meta process of like, oh, this is what's going on in my brain. This is why I'm thinking about these things in this way. This is why this is happening in my body. So. Yeah, see, and I have some questions, Erica, and I want to be perfectly clear. We are not saying being ADHD is an excuse to hurt other people because I can already hear my comments blowing up with people saying like that doesn't just you're trying to justify trashy behavior no we're not on the other hand uh, I have a lot of content right now around taking personal responsibility within polyamory and people are commenting that I'm being ableist because um, it doesn't account for people who aren't neurotypical, uh, people like people with BPD who lack the ability to control their emotions. And I actually have a call out to one of my mentors right now because I'm like, I don't know where I stand on this because we are responsible for what we do, but I also, I don't have a lot of knowledge in this area. And so is this ableist? Um, that's such a good question. You know, it's funny. I think that there's so many pieces here where we get pulled into these like polarized conversations. Like it's either this or that when really the answer is complex, nuanced, messy, gray, human, etc. And I get into this conversation all the time, actually around like radical empathy and then accountability. When I talk about radical empathy and being like, if I had this person's upbringing and this person's genetics and all the nature and nurture of this person, I would make the same exact decisions as them. And that's what I truly believe. That's, that's what helps me be a good therapist in my eyes. And so I really enter the space with that kind of non-judgmental attitude of like, I would do that too. We just got to figure out why. Right. Mm -hmm. But then when I talk about that with people, people will right away go, well, where's the accountability? And I'm like, no, we can hold people accountable and be compassionate at the same time. We just have to hold space for both. So for example, you know, you were talking about BPD, Marsha Linehan, which is like the person who created dialectical behavior therapy, which is like a specific therapy that's was created for people with borderline personality disorder. She actually like, I'm pretty positive. I don't know if this, I'm pretty sure this is a direct quote, but something she would say a lot in that kind of treatment was your problems are not your fault but they're yours to deal with. Mm, I like that a lot. It's, it's been super interesting because um, it's obvious, it's coming up time and time again on these posts that I do where I talk about taking personal responsibility for your emotions in the polyamorous space uh, and people saying like, I literally, because of my atypicalness, like don't have the ability to do that. Um, and like I said, I admit I am not educated in this area. I admit that I am quite ableist because I lack this wisdom um, and I have a lot of privilege in the ways that I am able to be neurotypical. Um, I don't know if that makes sense because I'm either neurotypical or not. Anyway, um, but you know, it tr what triggers for me is again, my one of the greatest loves of my life, who was this meth addict, um, you know, said that to me was like, addiction is a disease. And you're being ableist by not like by kicking me out of your life by drawing these boundaries, which was also his narcissism and his gaslighting of the situation. And yes, addiction is a disease. But I also have the right to draw a boundary for myself for not being able to to be around it in a way that felt like I wasn't an enabler. Um, and so I understand that he was not neurotypical and that 
lack of dopamine and serotonin in his brain caused him to reach out to unhealthy behaviors. Um, but that also doesn't mean that it created healthy relationships. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that like something to think about here is like, if I, so I have ADHD and that shows up in my partnership all the fucking time. My partner, like the amount of times that I start a sentence and then stops talking in the middle. He's like, hello, I'm fucking here waiting for you to stop, like continue the goddamn story. Or the amount of times that he's talking to me and then I literally just pick up my phone and start going through it. And he's like, wow, really? Thanks. Like, It's rude. It's rude. Now, what would be ableist is if he came down hard on me every time, was like, you don't care about me, um, da-da-da-da-da, and this and that. And so it's like, he has compassion for me. And so like, we've really worked on that. And he, luckily, because he also has ADHD, he can automatically put himself in my space. But one of the ways that we differ is that like, I'm way more moderate and he is way more on the mild side. So he doesn't struggle in the same level of things as I do. But like one of the ways that we work on is that he knows that I'm not doing this on purpose. So he doesn't beat me up about it anymore. Um, and he didn't really beat me up. I will give him, he's going to listen to this later and be like, whoa, I didn't beat you up. But he didn't beat me up about it that much in the beginning either. But there's definitely more moments of frustration. And then over time, we kind of learned how to deal with it. And now it's like, he puts his hand on my like arm and it's like, babe. And I'm like, yeah, sorry. Hey. And I like put my phone back down. I'm like, what were you saying? Okay. I'm listening. I'm, I'm trying, you know? And, you know, at the same time, like on the reverse flip side, it would be unfair for me to say, well, this is my ADHD. There's nothing I can do. Deal with it. You, you have to put up with all my behaviors. It's like, mm-hmm. there's a meeting in the middle that has to happen. I have to own the fact that I have this thing that, makes it very difficult that makes my partner feel like i don't care about them um and so i I do really really like that phrase of like your problems are not your fault but they're yours to deal with and that's like just the unfortunate like truth and reality of things um yeah i don't know that's kind of where i stand on that it's a complicated issue though it is complicated and i appreciate that anecdote and i apologize for slightly steering us off course but i do think it's relevant uh because it's coming up it's being critiqued in my comments and i want to make sure i'm showing up for all critiques like i'm not here to be right i've been called out a lot and i'm always willing to hear that i'm wrong um okay so we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk about how adhd could possibly explain some of the difficulties people find themselves having within polyamory and why it's helpful to have this knowledge. All right, we will be back in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay, we're back with the second half of episode five, season two, remodeled, unedited, with Dr. Antonia talking about the connections that we think, that we see, that we're finding, that she's finding in her work, and then also in her life as a polyamorous person between polyamory and people with ADHD. So we're going to start with how you think ADHD could possibly explain some of the difficulties people find themselves having within polyamory. And I think this is going to be the juiciest part of the combo right here. 
I think so as well, because I can tell you that it was definitely a game changer for me to recognize some of the like issues and difficulties that I was having. And then, yeah, knowing what to do from there. But so some of the things that like, I know, like right off the bat, that's going to come up for me is issues around time management. So I have notoriously in my friend groups, like my friends make fun of me. I am always the last person. I'm always late <laughs> to everything. I'm always the last person there. Um, I frequently double book myself. I realized later that I had something on my calendar that I did not plan for. I, um, I didn't use a planner until I got to grad school. I made it all the way through college without writing any of my homework down. I was just, I was just flying by the seat of my pants. So that's going to definitely show up in every, <laughs> I think, because it showed up in mine. At least I know that like partners would get upset with me and be like, whoa, you said you were going to be here at this time. And then also I'm thinking about like boundaries that you might sign up for that you don't quite realize are not going to be good ones for you. So for example, for many years, like um, I would tell my partner, um, okay, I'm going to be home by 10 p.m. And it wasn't necessarily like a curfew, but it was like an agreement that I was going to be respectful and like come home at the time that I said I was going to come home, but I would never be able to make it by 10. I would always come home at 1030, 11, 1130, and then it would get to these big fights. Like my partner would be like, what the fuck? You said you were going to come home earlier. Then I am sitting here with all this discomfort. Like, what are they doing? Are they just so in love? They can't let go of one another and this and that. And really what it comes down to is the fact that I can never leave a place on time, right? Like I will, and I, and I tried so hard for like a whole year of like trying and trying to meet this boundary and like to like meet the, like be respectful of my partner's time. I would set alarms. I would like, okay, I'm going to leave at 10 o'clock. So I'm going to set an alarm for 9.45 and then I'll leave at that time. But 9.45, the alarm goes off. My partner starts telling me a story. I am completely blind to time passing. So I'm like, oh yeah, five minutes. Turns out it's been 15. I get up, I can't find my wallet because who knows where the fuck I put it. I start searching for my wallet. I can't find it. I spend another 15 minutes. Then I can't find my car because I forgot where I parked it, right? Like it just goes on and on and on. <laughs> and then I show up late, me and my partner get into a big fight and over time, what we had to realize was, is like, okay, this is just not going to be something that I can really meet. And I was really only doing it for my partner's comfort, but it actually wasn't even more comfortable for him. Mm. Like he realized over time and he was like, I don't know why I'm giving you this because in the end, it just actually makes it worse. Mm. So come home whenever, and I'm not having expectations. Mm. Hold, oh, that's big. Yes. And that's, I will tell you that that came with time. Um, I know from listening to your podcast that you talk about you and your husband and like some of the ways that things have relaxed over time. This also followed that natural progression where things relaxed. Suddenly we were like, you know what? I don't really care how late you are out. I, I have like enough trust in our relationship and you know, I'm feeling secure enough that it's not gonna be super triggering. Go ahead, have the time of your life. Um, but I think that we would have come up with other solutions had I known at the beginning, like, this is a boundary that's not meant for me in like a good way. And I'm going to continuously let you down around this. 
Right. And I think um, getting realistic about that, too, is the loving thing to do. So, oh God, I can hear, you know, one of the coaches that I worked with who definitely does not understand neurodivergence, I can hear her right now just being like, no, 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 you know, but um, but in the end, if you know who you are, it's the loving thing to just say, this is not something I can do. And then your partners can opt into that experience or not. They can be like, I can't be with a partner who can't be on time or can't respect a time boundary. And then they get to walk away or not, you know? So you can try, they can request it. And then you can be like, I'm never going to be able to do that. You know? Yeah, yeah exactly. I a hundred percent agree with that because we, you know, there's so much content out there that I think is so important around agreeing to boundaries that you can't enthusiastically agree to. And then how that shows up in like how you act it out or how your partner acts it out and how that ends up a lot of times being problematic. At the same time, we always are going to show up at, like, we're always going to have boundaries that are not hundred percent ours. Cause they're not always going to come from us. They're going to come from our partner too. Okay. Um, and so yeah, there's so much of that where it's just needing to meet in the middle. Like a way that my partner could have been ableist about this is to be like, you are just clearly not trying hard enough. You need mm-hmm. to try harder and so on. And right. I think- blaming you for not trying. And okay, wow, that's a really good distinction. Thank you for that. Yeah. And where it was fair, like what would be a more appropriate approach is, I understand this is very hard for you. I'm also getting triggered. What do we do about that? Right. How do we move through this? How do we mm-hmm. how do we solve this? How do we and that's how we ended up at like something that worked for both of us. It was mm-hmm. less triggering for him and it was also easier for me because I was like, yeah. And and I think too there will be something to be said about like my partners have seen me in action, right? And so I think that also like has given me like people a lot of empathy for me because anyone who spends a lot of time with me and is like, oh shit, like you really like cannot you're all over the place i mean like i'm not going to show you the space that i'm sitting in right now because this is going to be on youtube and i have clients but i can tell you that my fucking room is a mess and it is all the time and so people who are like close to me like yeah they see it they know it and they also see like my efforts like my strong strong efforts to like work around it Totally. Um, I think I can feel how many people are resonating with this right now. So moving down the list, another thing uh, that you think ADHD affects in polyamory is polysaturation. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And honestly, like, I wish I could tell you and all my listeners here that we're talking to that, like, I have figured that out, but I still haven't. But here we are. So, like, I think that polysaturation is definitely a huge thing because it's like, okay, so I get these dopamine hits from this NRE and the NRE lasts for a certain amount of time. And then that NRE fades and then insets like a deeper connection potentially if things are going well. And then like maybe a more slow burn that is wonderful and comfortable, but now you're not having that usual hit. And so then you're like, I'd love to experience that again. I'm going to maybe date, go on another date or <laughs> I'm going to do a, a hookup or this or that. Right. And then you go out again and again, and then, then you end up with three partners. And I can tell you right now that I have three partners <laughs> and like definitely a comet that I keep texting that I'm like, why am I texting this person? But it's so fun. And I love the like, like thrill that I get from it. Um, but also like I have done a lot of work around like, being really intentional around time 
and like explaining to my partners where I'm at with things yeah. and also just being like real about the fact that I tend to polysaturate like that's how I am this is what feels most comfortable to me if that's going to be super upsetting for you I totally understand and also like uh, this is where I am in my process of working on this and I think at the end of the day what makes it ethical is that you're just upfront about who you are and then like I said people can they have the informed consent to opt in or you know they have the information to consent um they can opt in and so we just need to learn to tell the truth about ourselves and to unpack any shame because it's white supremacy it's capitalism that is saying that we need to be neurotypical right yeah. i mean just the fact that neurotypical is defined that there even is a typical comes mm -hmm. from the fact that you know we celebrate certain identities and processes that that achieve certain things and that's white supremacy and capitalism so you know let's just learn to tell the truth about ourselves and begin to unpack the shame of the fact that we are chaotic yeah yeah a hundred percent and i feel like i've noticed that like you know even with knowing that that i tend to polysaturate the thing is is that i i really enjoy having several partners not just two like because in the past like i've kind of like had that experience and then gone okay three is way too much cut it out antonia you need to work down to just like two you can have two relationships and then it'll be fine but the thing is is that then i feel like i'm essentially in two long-term relationships where i'm not getting that like fun and enjoyment of like the novelty and so on and so i started to realize that i'm like okay it's really actually about being able to have space for new people to come in and out um having like having relationships where we don't see each other as often and so then every time we see each other it gets this feeling of newness mm -hmm. to it that i don't experience usually um so i'm I, I guess i've gotten more creative on like how to harness the nre how to like experience it how to like build in some variety into like the way i date and show up in relationships so see and this is all making sense because i've always said my ideal polyamorous life would be anchor partner, nesting partner, mm -hmm. another like serious partner who wants to be in our family, wants to play a role in our family, help us with the kids, be around a lot. Like that is typically over two, three days a week and we have consistent weekly sleepovers. Mm -hmm. And then two comets that yeah. pop in, like that's my ideal setup. And now as you're talking to, I'm thinking about what you just described about how you like to have lots of options with partners i mean if you look at what i have done professionally i mean i can't even answer the question like in this new co-work space people are like what do you do and i'm like i i can't even fit it on a business card if yes. you go to homesliceproductions.com homeslice productions has just become the umbrella company of my adhd i've essentially monetized my ADHD and like, and so I've got Remodeled Love. I've got the Utility Players, which is Reno's legendary comedy family. Don't even get me started on the connections between ADHD and improvisers, professional improvisers. Like we are a fucking shit show, but a fabulous one. We have we have a need to be liked and a need to be good at what we do. And so we have gotten really good at being really good at a lot of things and making shit up at the last minute. I, I also never did my reading and homework in college and became just really good at bullshitting papers 
you know, that's why I have a liberal arts degree because I didn't have to, I could just, I have a philosophy degree. I mean, literally I just bullshitted papers at the last minute. I've got something called the game show show, which is what I was doing before the pandemic, which was a game show that toured music festivals. Like I do wedding officiating. I do voiceovers. I do radio. I do radio production. Like, holy crap. I can't even pick a direction i people struggle with my brand they're like so your home slice productions on tiktok but your remodeled love on facebook and then you're just your name on youtube and i'm like should i combine them is this chaotic <laughs> is this too much for people but it's like i so feel that because i feel like even as a psychologist i'm like okay i'm gonna be a therapist and i know i want to be a therapist but i really love teaching maybe i'll just teach one like course of like a semester maybe i'll do this and like all the people that I've looked up to who have like been further along in their careers, I'm always like, yes, they do this and this and this, and they work it in the schedule. And that sounds like, and I, and I'm, and it's like funny. Cause I think internally I'm like, and maybe I'll never be bored. Oh, yeah. And so polyamory and like new partners. And even right now I'm six, seven months postpartum almost. I'm struck. My demisexuality seems to have gotten more intense. I don't know if it's related to my postpartum journey, but like, I just don't have the spoons to bring in all of the partners I would love to. Like before I became a mom, I was exactly what you described. Um, but now I'm just like downloading all the apps and swiping to get the dopamine hit and like having multiple conversations going. But I am like, I don't want to meet you. <laughs> I just want to have the idea of you uh yes and it's funny like I don't want to sidetrack too much but I think that like I'm in a similar place and I think a lot of people are right now when it comes to dating of like not having spoons like coming being in a pandemic that feels never-ending the shit show that has been the last four years plus like all of that it's just like people are having less and less and less capacity and something that I just see across my caseload is more and more people coming in and just being like, I don't fucking know. Life is hard and I don't know how to do life. I don't know how to do life. And then I, and then I have to be the unfortunate, like bear bad news of being like, yeah, sounds like life. I'd also, there's no right answer here. And I hate that. And let's just sit in this together. And like, here's some medication that like might work, but also there's no pill to make capitalism go away. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's funny because I think that like the thing that comes up around polyamory that like I've had like a process around too is like, okay, I used to love going on a billion dates. I always wanted to look up for the next, like look for the next person to hook up with and like definitely another proud slot over here. And I'm not in that space anymore. And suddenly I was like, am I not polyamorous anymore? Am I not monogamy? I fought so hard for this and now is it all gonna and then I'm like god is that not just such a sign that we live in a monogamous like context because no monogamous person when needing to take a pause from dating would be like am I actually monogamous you know what I mean like it's oh my god totally and so yeah I digress but polysaturation that's the thing <laughs> moving down the list of the way adhd see this is why we needed to have a literal list like y'all we show prepped we've got bullet points because you've got two adhd people trying to have an interview like if we didn't have this it would never happen no so okay you're talking about moving fast and the push-pull dynamic showing up for people with adhd and polyamory and in relationships in yes that. And this is another place where I'm like, fuck, I would love to see some research on this because 
I had this like kind of aha moment where I thought about the fact that like how my ADHD shows up in the fact that I'm moving fast in like the stages. So like, you know, back in my marriage, I was the one who wanted to move forward. I was the one who wanted to go from, okay, yeah, we have sex with people together, but I want to have sex with people on my own now. I want to do this now. Well, what's the big deal if I like him a little bit? What if I, what, like, okay, so I fell in love with her. All right, sorry. You know, like, but I just want this. I want this. I want this. And like pushing, moving fast. And one of the things that is really hard for people with ADHD is to inhibit a response like that's happening on an ongoing behavior. So like, that hyper-focused and like needing it and not want, not feeling like you can really stop yourself from continuing and engaging with it. And so I think that definitely showed up in that push-pull dynamic. And I'm so curious to see whether or not like people who have ADHD are more likely to be in that pushing position on the person who's pushing down on the accelerator and wanting to go and whether or not their partner is the one who's always like pumping the brakes like whoa, 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 what about this boundary whoa, whoa, whoa what about this boundary whoa, whoa, whoa. I-, I can only handle this much and yeah that was me i mean you've listened to our podcast that was me and my husband describes our first year of polyamory as feeling like he was being pulled down a dark hallway against his will yeah yeah totally and you know like for my marriage that that like what we realized at the end was that we wanted two very different things and we were not compatible in that. And we amicably realized that we like both had a lot of respect and grace for one another and forgave each other and like learned all these things. But we were like, wow, we just want different things where this isn't like working for us. But even having had that experience, I still went into my like more like my current nesting partnership. And I went from saying, okay, I'm going, I had to live like in another state for a while. And so we were separate and like, so to all my folks in the long distance polyamory community, I fucking hear you. That shit's fucking hard. And I was like, I'm not going to date anyone. I just want to hook up. I just want to have fun. I just want to like meet some girls and da da da. And of course, within like two months, I was dating a girl. And then of course, within like two to three months after that, we were like, so your girlfriend she's hot and then her girlfriend's like you're hot and then we're like we'll just do this casually and then like two months later i'm in a triad and like this entire time my partner's like whoa 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 i thought you were just gonna like hook up i I didn't know you were gonna do this and i'm like well what can i do you know like i'm just so drawn in i can't help myself but hold on i need this and so like we just like it was that the whole way there of just getting me pulling him like or him pulling me pushing etc and uh, I just feel like I, I just feel like my ADHD so informs parts of that. And it's not just that, right? Like these are experiences that people without ADHD also have. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, they just feel so inherently intertwined. Totally. And I mean, hearing this right now, like if you're listening to this podcast, you and you haven't listened to episodes one and two, my husband and I go into raw, vulnerable detail of our story. And it's it's just painting a different picture. Again, I don't feel like it excuses the things that I did. But I also really it was two people who did not understand each other. Like, I did not understand why he wasn't just ready to go. Like, I was like, we heard the word polyamory from a friend, and I was like, oh, let's start right now. Let's start tomorrow. Like, I don't need to read a book. Like, that sounds fun. You should go out and sleep with people who excite you, and I want to do the same and have relationships and fall in 
love and just like it made no sense to me why he needed to pace it so yeah yeah right and and there's like that experience and I feel like I remember you talking about it like oh yes finally that thing that has been explaining everything that thing that I've always been wanting and now it's in within reach and I can see it and fuck I'm running for it right Uh like and yet doesn't really feel good for the other person so right and and I have a lot you know I do a lot of polyamorous coaching slash peer support and a lot of what comes through my door are couples wanting to make the switch and they're both interested but one is the kind of more fearful afraid and the other is like I'm ready right now um and I always have to say like I'm gonna show up for you in a really honest way um but I'm gonna constantly remind you of my bias and that I am that role in my history and please go listen to episodes one and two and now I kind of feel like I have another tool to put in there that you know if if one person is ADHD they're they're really gonna have trouble pumping the brakes they're not gonna understand even why there is a break yeah right they're like but this feels great and oh my god the dopamine I want this I want this yeah oh huge and I feel and I feel that actually too because one of the things that we talk about at LifeWork specifically because we are made up like the the entire staff is made up of clinicians that share the identities of their clients and that's one of the beautiful things right so like my client can come to me and know that they don't need to educate me and I'm not going to pathologize them and I'm not going to say that this is coming from your poor attachment da 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 and like we can really be honest and the other thing is is like I didn't get training in grad school as a psychologist on like the best practices around this. And so when I work with relationships and relationship therapy, I'm very upfront and honest and I say, this comes from my clinical experience of working with clients. This comes from my coursework and this comes from my lived experience of polyamory. Um, and that comes with, you know, bias, um, but also lots of understanding. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's why um, I take such a hard stand on because, you know, the idea of peer support is really controversial in the polyamorous world because you can do a lot of damage. And, you know, in any type of therapist, even if they're certified, is up on a pedestal. And if they're not, you know, if, if you're in there in a vulnerable space and you're you haven't been taught how to be critical of that power dynamic, it, it can do some damage. Um, my opening spiel every time somebody works with me is, um, you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I do. I am a certified coach. I have an extensive coaching history. However, you should assume every single thing I say is a projection of my own bias. Mm-hmm. And you should filter every single thing that I say from that place. And your job, my job, is to tell you what I'm seeing, what's coming up for me, and how I have lived that experience and what I learned from it. And your job is to take what resonates and abandon the rest, literally abandon it. And then give me feedback about what's resonating and what's not so I can meet you where you are because I don't have an agenda. Yeah. And, but I am biased. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I constantly reminding people throughout a session, I'm biased, I'm biased, I'm biased, so that it's more like, talking to a friend who has lived your experience versus paying a therapist who thinks they have some understanding of polyamory and might even identify themselves as polyfriendly, but you still spend the entire session giving a TED talk on polyamory. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I've had like, I've had clients come to me and say, my last therapist said this thing to me and said that they thought this about it. And there's, and you know, it's funny, like there can be so much damage that could be done by like coaching without like necessary experience and there's also so much damage that can be done by therapists who have credentials and then it's like 
even more people are like, oh, this person is an expert. They must really know. And so, yeah, that can lead to a lot of trauma. And I have, I would say like, you know, 20% of my caseload right now, we talk about the trauma of like previous therapists and like, and well-meaning, well-intentioned people, but uneducated on these things and on these topics. And yeah. Well, and, and the current, you know, uh, education for therapists and counselors um, is still based in white supremacy and capitalism. And so the decolonization of that education is happening like right now, like right now is therapists like you who are in the space, criti- like criticizing your own education and trying to show up and say like, okay, I need to be offering you know, um, therapy for clients who share my identity. And like, anyway, this is a whole other episode, but I am glad that we touched on it because I think it's super important to realize that like, you should be, you should be grilling anyone you're heading into a space with any kind of peer support or therapy space with, with like, what's your lived experience and what are your biases and how does that affect? So the fact that you are able to show up for clients who have the same um, qualities that you do, I think is huge. And I, I know that field is growing right now too. Yeah, no, it totally is. And you'll notice like, even in the field, it's been changing year by year. And so like, I have other clinicians that are further along and are like, I, we didn't talk about this at all, not in my training, not in my uh, coursework. And then for me, it was like, well, I didn't talk about it in my coursework, but people were talking about it outside of coursework. So then we were starting to bring it in and now it's starting to like get incorporated into the coursework. And it's like, you just see this slowly changing, but it's like, it's really happening in real time. Yeah. Um, Yes, but we digress. (laughs) Yeah, so back to what we were talking about. Um, So the moving fast, the push-pull dynamic, needing NRE. Yes. Yeah, feeling like it's like this need, feeling like you can't let go of it or say no to it, having a hard time saying no to things that you really like. I mean, for me, something that comes up around this a lot is that I actually do not consider myself as someone who is polyamorous by orientation. I actually think that I'm non-monogamous by orientation, but then I fall in love with people. (laughs) And I have a hard time saying, no, if I really like someone and I have a connection and I'm falling in love with them, I don't want to have to walk away. I will be very upset if I have to walk away from that. And so then I started realizing, I was like, okay, I think I need to, I need to do polyamory. I need to like live out polyamory instead. Um, even though if I'm only dating one person and let's say hooking up or something like that with other people, I'm never sitting there like, oh, I really feel like I need another romantic attachment to f- fulfill me. So like, I don't feel like I need it, but I end up with it because I, I what I really need is variety, um, non-monogamy, like sexual variety and excitement in my life, et cetera. So yeah, I think that's like one of the things too, is that like where my ADHD shows up of like, I don't want to let go of certain things when I, when I'm like hooked into them. And I don't know if this is connected, but it popped up in my mind. So I'm going to say it's connected. Like I have a lot of internalized shame around the way I lose sexual interest in long-term relationships. And so I was like, something's wrong with me. I've had people who love me tell me there was something wrong with me because I think Mm -hmm. it triggered them um, because we've been given one narrative about what marriage is and what love is. And other people are out here having sex with one person for 10 plus years and still finding fire in it and it's like just you should just 
um, do things to bring the spice back to your relationship when really I think that my sexual orientation is newness. And I have spent 15 fucking years trying to like dismantle that or heal that, you know, taking, doing plant medicine ceremonies, trying to rewire myself. Uh Um, But I think that I am sexually oriented to new things. And now that I have this ADHD connection, like, oh my God. Um, So I will, my romantic connection will grow with time, but my sexual attraction will lessen with time. It has nothing to do with the person. No. No, it's just, I am turned on by new exciting things in this interview with you is like oh and we've also normalized in our culture the fact that long-term relationships result in like a sexless marriage and like watch any you see that trope across sitcoms time after time after time of like oh married people don't have sex anymore ha 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 and it's like Okay, I mean, if that works for you, I know a couple people who identify as asexual um, later in life, and they're super happy with their sexless marriage. Great. Um, But I don't think we should be normalizing that. Yeah, yeah. I think there's like a difference too between people who are like, I prioritize sex and I think sex is really important, but I've now let go of it and you know, it's not happening and this is normal. And so whatever versus like someone who's like, sex is not a priority for me. And I feel okay about this. Those are two very different things. Exactly. And so, but I hear you around this like piece around like orienting towards novelty. I mean, that to me was like, that's probably at the core of like why I feel like I'm not monogamous and not polyamorous is like, that's the piece that draws me in. And yeah, I've also struggled with that of like long-term relationships and like, losing that novelty piece and then what do you rely on instead and polyamory like i want to be clear in that it's not going to take that problem away right correct so like when i'm polyamorous i you know i still have my nesting partner and we've been together now for three-ish years almost or two and a half and you know like it's no longer novel and so we still have to work on that regardless of who else i'm like having sex with in my life like we still have to figure out a way to work like within that but it so fucking helps <laughs> well and, and like, it so helps me because when i go to my partner and i like i go to have like a romantic or sexual connection with one partner and then i come home and i'm like oh my god like you feel so different and this feels different and now that contrast is apparent to me and it feels new or just like still riding the nre high still riding like that dopamine hit and coming home and being like hey just being hornier in general like i am just hornier because i have new love in my life and now i want to fuck everyone more um totally and and adhd aside i think that we just need to be totally candid about the fact that there is something new about new there's something hot about new sex and Mm -hmm. i remember the first time early on in our polyamorous journey i came home from being with somebody and i like tried to have sex with my husband because i was like super horny he was offended because he was like you're just turned on because you were out with so and so and it's like yeah and then and then i was super wet like physically really wet and and we've had to use lube for a really long time because Mm -hmm. my body stopped reacting to him in that way and he was really offended and butthurt um and then when we had like a threesome shortly after and I saw how quickly he got an erection you know Mm -hmm. I was like can we just accept 
that this is in the nature of new connections. Like I haven't given you an erection that quickly in a really long time. And like, can we just laugh at it or just be like, yay. (laughs) Like it's, it's helpful. We don't have to take it personally. Yes. And then the orientation can be instead of focusing on each other and like what's wrong with each of us or what's wrong with our relationship, it can go into, this is a normal thing. So how do we deal with it now? Mm -hmm. Right. Because all the while, while you're arguing with one another about why is this happening? You don't even like me anymore. Mm -hmm. You're just like, you don't think I'm hot. I feel so insecure now. All of that. Like while we're doing that, we are taking more and more time away from the fact that we could be just coming up with solutions Mm-hmm. and like working through it together and being like okay this is a card that's natural to our bodies so how do we do this you know like right. if we were aging and talking about that we would be having different conversations right like if if this person was like having a hard time maintaining erection because he suddenly is you know older and is having different difficulties with testosterone and so on or if a woman was getting older and then was experiencing vaginal dryness this would be a totally different conversation and yet it should be normalized here at this at this age and time as well. Right. And if you're new to polyamory and you're at this phase right now, like just know it's just ego. It literally just is ego. Yes. Um, wanting to, to be the center of your partner's attraction always and to be the hottest and to be the best, especially in the sexual realm, like more so than like, you know, um, in my interview with Chad from Polyam Fam, he was like, you know, men is like, is his dick bigger than mine? And does he make more money than me? But like, why are those the two things, you know, like it could be anything like, is he nicer than me? Um, does he draw better than me? But no, we focus on those things. Like anyway, so just know that it's just your ego. And like, for me, always remembering it goes the other way too is helpful for me. So like, yeah, you know, I might get wetter for someone else, but you also get harder for someone else. So let's just call it a wash. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really wonderful way of looking at it. Um, so we're going to end here. This last one with texting partners slash having a hard time getting off your phone is one of the difficulties people with ADHD have a harder time with in polyamory. Yes. So people with ADHD, right? Like we're really looking for that dopamine hit and we're also looking for stimulation so stimulation like the stimulation we receive in everyday life is what keeps us alert and like our brain aroused and i don't mean sexual i actually mean just like an around like a state of alertness (laughs) um and so because of that we get really drawn and hyper focused on things that give us that so screens video games texting being on your phone um it's all like very and i think right now like everyone's at a place where they can like everyone's looking for a dopamine hit everyone's getting addicted to their phones and so like i think this is one that everyone can relate to but specifically with people with adhd you will see this a lot more and then it will be like it will come up in like the partnership where the person's like god like you're just on the phone all the time you don't care about me or i see you reach for your phone while i'm talking to you right and there could be some more compassion and understanding around that because once again like that doesn't mean like okay so now i just let my partner do whatever they want no it's like it looks like when my nesting partner turns around and puts his hand on my arm and is like hey can you pay attention to me while i finish the story and i'm like yes i'm so sorry um the phone thing was a huge 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 point of contention um for and it always has been my husband definitely does not have ADHD. 
I and now that I realize I do so much of the differences between us and I I feel like this interview will annoy him because I really feel like he's traumatized by the way that my ADHD tendencies are very selfish and have affected him um but I also, there was this humbling moment when he had his first super intense NRE um, seven years after my first one. So he really went that long without the switching of the roles. And um, it was humbling because he was on his phone um, without ADHD, just yeah. super phone addicted. And then I was butthurt about it. And it was such a great humbling moment for both of us to trade roles and to have the experience and the empathy for the other person. And I mean, we literally had to come up with rules yes. about like, and, and for me, that meant actually getting the phone out of the room. So we had a no phones during meals and then a no phones past 8 p.m. or when we were like doing something together and it required us both putting our phones away in a drawer somewhere. And it was hard. Yeah, so huge. I mean, I think about that a lot around like quality time. If we know we're spending quality time, then that means like not being on our phones, not texting other partners, like really focusing in on each other. Um, I hear you around this piece of like, okay, my partner's going to probably be really annoyed when they hear this like podcast. At the same time, I wonder also about like how validated there might be some potential to feel really validated by this to be like, I knew something was up. Okay. At least it wasn't just me. It's not about me. It's this other thing. Mm, that's true. The it's not about me could be actually very freeing. I think the only point that it could annoy him is if it sounds like I'm trying to let myself off of a hook, which is kind of this gray area we were talking about before. But yeah. he, I mean, he has trauma around the way that this ADHD stuff is selfish. Yes, yes. Or self-centered, self-centered. Yeah. Like without meaning on the word self-centered. Getting rid of all meaning, cultural meaning around the world's word self-centered, just literally the definition of self-centered is how I am in my ADHD. Right, orienting. Yeah, orienting to yourself and just like kind of naturally going from that vantage point. Which like in ADHD, things will not, um, you will not respond to things or get drawn to things by like, hierarchy of importance to you but more so about interest as defined by your brain and and stimuli in that moment without being able to forward plan five years from now right and so you up here and down here to some degree know that you know your husband has been so important to you your entire life that you or entire life for a lot of your life and that you love him and that you want to show that to him and prioritize him in a way that is respectful of all of that. And yet your brain is not going to say that is going to say, Ooh, NRE focus here. Right. Wow. Yeah. And so I think that difference between like importance and interest is huge because other people have a a little bit closer of a link between the two like what is important to me i am also interested in and so then i focus in on that um but that doesn't quite happen the same way for people with adhd so profound so we were gonna end this in interview with talking about like why it's helpful to have this knowledge and that's we've kind of already addressed it which is 
if you have this knowledge that you're ADHD and now you've listened to how it's going to show up in your polyamory, affect your polyamory, you can basically stop signing up for boundaries that you know that you can't keep. And that is allowing your partners to opt into who you are, to, to consent to being in relationship with you because you will stop trying to mold yourself into something that you know you can't. Yeah, that's so huge. I think that's a big piece. I think the other piece too is like, the more your partner understands you and what you're coming in with, the more empathy there is for that. And the more, and the less it will get like attributed to something else. Like this shows like a lack of interest in our relationship, a lack of commitment, a lack of whatever. Um, it will really, or like, I'm not enough, et cetera. Like all these kinds of other narratives and scripts that would show up is instead like kind of seen through this other lens. And it's not that this those things still can't come up or that there's not unique situation by situation things. I'm not saying that, but just generally, the more your partner knows about you and understanding all these pieces, the better for that. I love that so much. You are amazing. Is there anything that you want to plug? I was just getting ready to tell you, you obviously have to write the book ADHD and polyamory, but having ADHD, you know, I don't want to put that on your plate. I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh man. Writing a book has never been in my like goals and probably for a very specific reason as we were talking about, but I'm definitely just at least happy to continue to have these conversations. Um, one thing that I do want to just plug is that if anyone has any questions or people who live in Chicago, so I'm in Chicago, that's where I'm based at. And, um, if people are looking for practices that like specialize or, um, have a lot of experience working with polyamory and these kinds of things, um, they can find us at lifeworkspsychotherapy.com. If they're looking for me specifically, you'll find my profile there. And people can also email me at Antonia. A-N-T-O-N-I-A at lifeworkpsychotherapy.com. Um, and then I will also plug that I have a group coming up that's brand new that I'm very excited about. And it's starting on October 5th. It's gonna be on Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. And it's called Queer Mindfulness. And so it's giving people a virtual opportunity to practice mindfulness in a queer supportive space. I love that so much. And we'll have all this information in the podcast details. So wherever you're listening to this, I'll have links to the website. And then I'm also hoping you'll come back for a second follow-up interview where we can actually answer questions. So if you have listened to this episode and now you have questions, um, you can head to remodeledlove.com, go to contact, and you can email us questions for Dr. Antonia. And maybe we can just like have a whole series. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that so much. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast and you enjoyed what I'm doing at Remodeled, um, head to remodeledlove.com and find a way to support me through my Patreon starting at $3 a month. You can also send me a one-time tip through Venmo, Cash App, PayPal, and um, make sure you share this with your friends. Sharing my content is one of the best things that you can do. Thank you so much for being here. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Remodeled, the podcast. I fall in love just a little, little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, oh, a little bit every day.